Hello, and welcome to Living Proof, the teaching ministry of Joseph Castillo. We encourage you to listen to today's message over and over again, so that the Word of God will be in your spirit. Be a blessing, share it with your friends, and we pray that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We also invite you to visit us online at www.anifbeijing.com. Since the Holy Ghost came down on the day of Pentecost, we ask you, God, to come and visit the earth again by your mighty power. We ask you, Father God, to come and visit America again by your mighty power. Even as you bring this country, Father God, through a great purge this year in the economy on Main Street and in Wall Street, Father God, that you also bring winds of refreshing and winds of revival and financial prosperity and abundance for your children, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that the children of God shall never be in want. Hallelujah. As the, as the scripture writer declared, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread, Father God. We thank you, Father God, as the America goes through this purging, as the world goes through this hour of purging, that there's a Russian mighty wind once again upon the nations of the earth, upon America, upon the church. And we thank you, Father God, for the birds even saying amen. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father God, that this is the hour for the church to shine. This is the hour for the church to be in power. This is the hour for the church to be filled. This is the hour to be a light and to be a breath of fresh air, Father God, to the Gentile nations, God. We thank you that Jesus is being glorified through the body of Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the purging in the body of Christ, uprooting uh, homosexuality, uprooting, Father God, divisions and strife and, 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 and filthy lucre and greed, Father God, from the pulpits around the world and raising up a true and a mighty church, Father God, that is dedicated to saving souls, seeing men set free, discipling the nations. Breathe upon your children with great winds of revival, Father God, with tongues of fire, even as you did on the day of Pentecost, Father God. We we honor this day. We celebrate this day, not as a day of historical fact, but a day that we cry out, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it in all nations. Tulsa, do it, Father God, in, 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 amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, Father God. Do it in our country. Do it in the nations of the world, Father God. The refreshing, the blessing, the fire of Pentecost, Father God. The life-changing fire of God. 
And Father God, let us be of one heart and of one mind, and that our minds be renewed by the Word and the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you glory. We give you praise for all that you are doing, Father God, here in this moment and in this hour, Father God. In the name of Jesus. I want to set the, uh, uh, the picture here for you, what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we, we, we understand a bit of the backdrop that here the disciples are gathering um, in Jerusalem here and they were ruled at this time by the Roman Empire and Jesus, as you know, had been a very controversial figure there. They were afraid of, of Jesus' political influence, the people following him, and they were trying to uh, accuse Jesus of wanting to overthrow the government, which, according to the belief of the Jewish people, the Messiah would overthrow the government. The Messiah was going to come, and he was going to overthrow the kingdoms of the world, and he was going to reign as king from Jerusalem and unite Israel. And... They just didn't realize that the Messiah was going to come first and die. They thought that he was going to come and and conquer. He was the conquering king, they thought. So they didn't really understand he was coming to die. So it was, you know, uh, it was believed by not only his disciples, but the secular Jews also believed he was going to try and overthrow the government. And if he overthrows the government the religious Pharisees and leaders of the, of the Sanhedrin and so on, they're going to lose their jobs too. You know? So it was, it was a bit of job security, uh, protecting their positions. And they were, they were hypocrites, probably a bunch of pedophiles. And you know, what, last time I was in Israel, they, they told us there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of pedophiles. A lot of the rabbis are pedophiles. They abuse the children because they live in these uh, introverted communities. And, you know, they wear the robes, they wear the, the, all the black and the, the tassels on their shirt and the big hats. And they're only allowed to marry within their community. And a lot of the rabbis abuse the children, but they're, they're, they can never say nothing. The children cannot come out and say nothing because it's something that you just don't do in that culture. You don't expose the rabbi, you know. So we heard about... On secular television, we heard a lot about the Catholic Church scandals, where this is the same exact thing is very common, and it goes uh, it goes on unchecked in the Jewish communities here in Israel, and uh, this might you know I'm sure we had the same scenarios going on too you know during this time here you had uh, hypocrites liars some were, were 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 greedy and thieves and some were in it for power some were in it for the money some were perverts. You know, you had all these kind of dynamics in the leadership of the of the Jewish, you know, synagogues here in the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leadership in Israel. And so now these guys see this true prophet coming uh, in the power of God and the Holy Spirit and they're claiming he's Messiah and they're they're guilty of their own sins. You know, that's why when they caught the woman in adultery 
Jesus knew all of their sins by the word of knowledge. He knew that, you know, some of the things happening by the word of knowledge. And that's why I said, you who haven't sinned, cast the first stone. They could have pretended like they didn't sin, but there was that, that fear. What if he is Messiah? What if he does know? What if, what if he does take over? You know, there was that, that consciousness of their sin that, that was there amongst these, these Jewish leaders. And so one by one, they all cast down their stones and walked away. And they were, they were just, not only were they angry at him and hated him, but they were intimidated and afraid. So how do you deal with this problem? Well, let's, let's alert the Roman authorities that this guy is, is, is a political figure trying to, to overthrow the government and so on. And so he's arrested with Barabbas, who was actually doing that. Barabbas is actually this person that is trying to overthrow the government and cause a coup. So now you have Jesus in jail who they think is trying to cause a coup and Barabbas who is trying to cause a coup. They're both in jail for the same thing, actually, you know. So we know what happens after that. We know about, he's, he, you know, Jesus is crucified and we understand that the crucifixion was not just a natural punishment, but it was a spiritual punishment that Christ was punished for all the world. He was punished for us. And we've, we've, we've learned, understood this. And then three days later, as he prophesies, he gets resurrected. He comes out of the grave. He is the seed that he prophesied about that must fall to the earth and die for it to bear forth much fruit. So he resurrects from the dead. He's seen by many people. Uh, I've heard Pastor Rodney Howard Brown bring out a point that I never heard before. And he said that uh, there were uh, thousands of thousands of people who had witnessed the resurrection, had seen Jesus after the resurrection. And so it was, uh, it was not just 120 people that we normally think here in Acts chapter 2. He said there were thousands of people that had seen him and that heard about his resurrection, that were told about his resurrection, had seen him. And not only was Jesus seen, but the Bible tells us that many of the prophets that had died prior to this point they had been risen from the dead and they were walking around the streets of Jerusalem. This is what it says in the New Testament, that many of the Old Testament prophets were walking around. Adam was probably walking around. I mean, you know, that obviously not Elijah because he was taken to heaven. Obviously not Enoch because he was taken to heaven. Uh, maybe not Moses. Moses is debatably taken to heaven, right? There was a dispute over his bones, we, we see in the Bible, between Lucifer and the angel. So there's some people think Moses was also taken. I don't think so. I, I think that his bones were just put somewhere, you know, somewhere secure, just like the ark. The ark is still, no one knows where the ark is for 2,000 years. The precious holy things like that, like the prophet Moses and like the ark, God somehow allows these things to be hidden and nobody on planet earth knows where it is. That's a, that's a pretty astounding miracle. Mm. And with all the science we have and all the technology, nobody on earth knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. One of the most significant pieces of, of you know, cultists like Hitler and so on have been searching, you know, uh, people have been searching for thousands of years for this Ark of the Covenant. God knows how to hide something. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So now... Jesus is risen from the dead. Everybody sees him. The prophets are walking around. And now we find ourselves 
in the in chapter one of Acts, we find ourselves in the very last words of Jesus, and Jesus is on uh, in Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, and he's talking about uh, his last words to them. And his last words to them, uh, we're going to start in Acts two, but we could take a look at Acts one. His last words for them in verse seven is that it's not for them to know the times and the seasons which the Father has appointed into his hand. Um, I think this is applicable in verse 7, Acts 1, 7. He says, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father had put in his own hand. Now they were asking him, when is he going to restore the kingdom? So all through his, his three years of ministry, they're asking, when are you going to take over? When are you going to overthrow the Caesar? When are you going to... And so then he dies and raises again from the dead. And they're still asking the same question. They're like, okay, when are you going to overthrow Israel? When are you going to overthrow Caesar? When are you, they, they have, that's all they had on their mind the entire life of ministry. And after the resurrection, they just kept thinking about when are you going to overthrow? When are you going to conquer? When are you going to rule? They didn't understand that... There's going to be this time period that we talked about over the last few weeks, the times of the Gentiles. They didn't understand that God would give us a time period and that God raised up the Apostle Paul to, to initiate the times of the Gentiles, to let, let, let the, the Gentile nations receive the gospel. And that's thanks to Paul. Even though it was Peter who had first preached to the Gentiles, it was Paul who, who, who basically made it known to the Jews that the, the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. Right? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So now, Jesus is telling them, they're continuing to insist, when are you going to overthrow? When are you going to defeat Caesar? When are you going to take over the world? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Amen. Now I heard a talk by Charles Capps that if you exchange that word power for another word, say, for example, in this, um, in this uh, box, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that God has put in this box. And then you read verse 8. He said, but you shall receive this box when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, what Charles Capps says is where God put this knowledge, hid this knowledge in, is that is the same thing that he also gave to his, his followers. He says, it's not for you to know what God has put in his power, but you shall receive the power. Mm-hmm. So in other words, God was going to give them, uh, through the Holy Spirit, an ability where they could discern times and seasons, know times and seasons. So that, that is an interesting observation by Charles Capps. Um, but if we traditionally go with the normal interpretation of this, it's not for us to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, the power, the energy, the miracle-working ability of the Holy Spirit. And I, I definitely lean towards that interpretation. I just want to leave it open to, 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 to what Charles Capps said, to say it's possible, maybe, for us to interpret it that way, which means we could understand, discern times and seasons. Mm-hmm. Charles Capps said that God would give us that power according to verse 8, because he said you'll receive that power. 
that God has put in his power to know. So, but by and large, I think most of the church agrees, and I think that most of us here probably agree that we don't know the time or the hour that Jesus would come. But maybe it's possible to know the season. However, the greatest pastors and prophets for 2,000 years from every generation have all thought they knew the time. They all thought they knew the season. They didn't want to say a date because Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, but they all thought it was going to be in 10 years or 20 years or 15 years. It's going to be by the year uh, 1900. It's going to be by the year 1800. It's going to be by the year 1999, Y2K, you know. People have still speculated this. The greatest and the purest hardest of scholars and Christian ministers and children of God have always continued to speculate. Maybe it is something that is as vague as we will must we must trust God. Maybe we just need to live today like he could come back today. Maybe we need to live every day, not only us, but our children and our children's children, as if the Lord could come today. Because he could come at any time. He is sovereign. And we talked about several weeks ago the, the, the doctrine of eminency, that he could eminently come. He could come at any time. So maybe God just wants us to trust him, which is a hard thing for us to do. We want to know. We want to figure it out. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. We want to know when's the time and the season that I'm going to meet my wife. When's the time in the season I'm going to meet my husband? Single people all over the world. Here in Tulsa, me and my wife, every week we're talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> you know, sometimes almost every day. Could you find me a husband? Could you find me a wife? I need a husband, I need a wife. I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50, you know. And so many Christians are wondering, when's the season I'm going to get married? When's the time I'm going to get married? When's the season my ministry is going to start? When's the season I'm going to get this breakthrough? When's the season I'm going to get my healing? Maybe this question that the apostles had is the same question that we have. When is the time and season that you're going to restore me? Bring me my spouse. Bless me financially. Sell my house. Open up this new door. Give me a church. Fulfill the dream of me preaching crusade. When are you going to fulfill this? And maybe the answer from God to you is the same. Maybe it's, it's not for you to know. Maybe it's, it's not for you to know. The greatest of Christian believers, holiest, most devout, single are praying and fasting every day for their spouse, worried about who they're going to marry. And then some of them get married and then they're miserable. <laughs> and they prayed for 30 years, they get married and after they do it, they're miserable because they married a crazy person. You know? <laughs> they married the wrong one because they couldn't wait anymore. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has put in his own power. Maybe God wants us in our life to trust him. <gasps> that sounds kind of scary. We don't, humans don't want to trust. We want to know, when's my spouse coming? When's he gonna get the job? When's the house gonna sell? When can I move? We wanna be in control of our lives. Maybe God wants us to surrender some of our control and simply trust him. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> as you go on in life, you realize, you know, it's just as hard for me to trust God at, at 42 to arrange the things in my life as it is for Dave at 62-ish, somewhere around there, 73. 73-ish, to trust God to do what he's going to do in his life. As it is for, for, for Asher at 11 years old to trust God for what's he going to do in his life. Like at every age, every race, every type of upbringing and home bringing, we all struggle with what's the time and the season that I'm going to get what's most important to me right now. For the single person, it's a spouse. For the married person, it's the business or the ministry or, or, or whatnot. We're all in this land of uncertainty. And when we ask God, when's the time? When are you going to do it, God? When are you going to do it? For three years, they kept badgering Jesus. When are you going to restore Israel? When are you gonna... Okay, okay, you're not going to tell us when. But when you do, can I sit at your right hand and my brother at your left hand? Like, this is all they kept thinking about, you know? And here, Jesus says, it's not for you to know. In other words, it's nanya. You know what Nanya means? None your business. None your business. <laughs> exactly. It's none your business. Trust me. He said, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, God's going to give you, he's going to send, or, and this is actually Jesus who sent it, you know. Jesus is going to send the power of the Holy Spirit to help you do the work, save souls, because the work was what? Be a witness. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Our job is just to share Christ, be a witness, save souls, and trust the seasons and the times and the hours that he deals with us in our personal lives. And what's he going to do in the earth? We don't have to get the maps and the charts out and try and figure it out. He says, it's none yet. Just be a witness, save souls. And as you walk in faith, you'll realize that you're actually happier. You're less stressed. So Jesus always talked about why are you going to worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow, what you're going to drink tomorrow. Because, you, you know, you know, basically he's trying to unload us of the anxieties of trying to know what's going to happen in the future. And he's saying, trust me, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to do my work. Be a witness, evangelize, make disciples, save souls, and everything else will fall into place. I'm in control. God is sovereign. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's Nanya. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's Nanya. Nanya business. Nanya business. I know. I, I, I'm like, just like everybody else. I want to know too. When's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? When's China going to open back up? When, when am I going to get to do that? When, 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 when are we going to move to Sosa? When is Ashley going to go to college? When's he going to meet his wife? We all want to know when you, when you, when you. And God said, it's Nanya, Nanya, Nanya. Don't worry about it. Just trust me. Focus on winning souls, being a witness. Amen? So he gives him this. He goes to heaven. We know the story. And then we find the birthing of the church. As I was meditating on today's message, I had a question that came to me. And I want to ask that question to you. Does the church need the Holy Spirit to spread its religion around the world? And if your question is, yes, of course, which should be a good Christian's question, 
Do the Muslims spread their religion around the world with the Holy Spirit? Do the Mormons spread their religion around the world with the power of the Holy Spirit? Do the Jehovah Witnesses spread their religion around the world with the power of the Holy Spirit? No. Do the Hare Krishnas and the Buddhists and the Hindus, do they need the power of the Holy Spirit to spread their religion around the world? The answer to that obviously is no. Because God is not with them. The Holy Spirit is not with them. But they're successful, all these groups, in, in, in spreading a global religion. Uh, some that have lasted centuries. Buddhism has lasted centuries. They've been successful colonizing America. Buddhists all over California and San Francisco, right? Uh, the, the Mormons have been successful. You know, the uh, Muslims have been successful spreading Islam. Now, their method is a, a bit more vicious, they use bombs and swords, you know. Islam is growing, is the fastest world religion growing. But they're the fastest growing religion through conquest and through birth rate. So Muslims are the fastest growing religion on the world. But they, their, their methods are birth rate and conquest. In other words, we cut your head off if you don't believe. Would you like to believe? Do you want to give me your head? No, okay. So, that's what they do. And then birth rate. They have 10 kids, 15 kids, 20 kids, right? So this is how Islam is growing. And I don't, I don't think that qualifies as a grown religion. If you're going to be, be, you know, just have a bunch of babies or just kill people, right? So, but people are converting free will to Hinduism, to Mormonism, to other cults without the Holy Spirit. So now I ask you again, do... Does the message of Christ, does it need the Holy Spirit? Could we all just be Baptists? Could we all just be Catholics? Do we need the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose of this church that Jesus started, this Pentecostal church? Because when Jesus started a church, it was a Pentecostal church. That's what we're talking about today in Acts chapter 2. Couldn't we just all be Catholic? Couldn't we all just be Baptists? The Baptists don't use the Holy Spirit power and the gifts and tongues and healings and miracles. And they're quite successful at evangelizing and saving countries. So my question to you to think about, and you could give me an answer now or later if you want, is why do you think that God and Jesus thought it was quintessential for us to have the Holy Spirit to evangelize the world? You could answer me later if you want. If you have an urgent answer, you can raise your hand. Jesus okay. yeah. himself made it clear. He said, without it, you cannot be my witness. So we, we actually need it so that we can be an effective witness. Yeah. So without it, mm -hmm. yeah. And so let's, if we take apart that word witness, because somebody would, could argue, oh, but the Baptists are witnessing everywhere. The, you know, the, the Lutherans are witnessing around the world doing missions. But that word witness doesn't mean talk about that word witness means demonstrate. This, this word, actually in the Hebrew, it means a demonstration. So you can't demonstrate the kingdom. And you can't demonstrate the power without the Holy Spirit. You can't demonstrate the power of the resurrection without the Holy Spirit. So when the command goes to be a witness, he wasn't saying go and tell people about me. Because the Mormons could do that. Jehovah's Witnesses could do that. The Baptists could do that. The Cats could do that. But what he was saying is go demonstrate my resurrection power. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit.
There's a difference between the spirit with upon and the spirit within. Mm -hmm. And the Baptist and the, and the non-Pentecostal had the spirit within. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, the Holy Spirit lives within them. Mm -hmm. But the difference between that and the spirit upon, the spirit upon you is when what Acts chapter 2 is all about. When mm -hmm. it comes upon you and gives you power to not just demonstrate a change in your life, but demonstrate through the power of laying hands on the sick and picking up snakes and it doesn't work, doesn't harm you or whatever, and to carry the word out. Because just having just having the Holy Spirit within is just it's your salvation. It's mm -hmm. just it's just the, the realization that God loves you and you have a home in heaven, that you're you're not of this world anymore. But it's not the power to to really go forth and to and to demonstrate like uh, John G. Lake and different ones have done. And I think that's yeah. the difference, the spirit within the spirit with the form. Good. That's the same thing that I told the Holy Spirit. Uh, my reply to him when he gave me this question, my reply was, well, they are born again. They have the spirit within them. And that's when he said, well, what about the Muslims? How do they spread? And I said, okay, well, by killing and birth rate. He said, well, how about the Buddhists? And how about the Hindus? And I said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Talk to me. You know, you get, you have my attention now. You know, the answer uh, also you have to consider another thing. Go ahead. And because when you have the Holy Spirit and you give them salvation, they can go to heaven, and that's more effective witnessing than what the Buddhists and Islam do. Because when they die, they don't go to heaven; they go to hell. Yes. Yep. Very good. Good point. Yeah. And uh, to just to acknowledge what what uh, what he said, to add to what you said, or enhance what Pastor Dave said, can a Buddhist preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and somebody gets saved, or let's not say a Buddhist because they wouldn't, but could a huckster, someone who's just been around church people, they don't believe it, they're doing it for business, they're doing it to make money. And they preach to make money, but people, as a result, answer the altar calls and get saved. Yeah, but they don't believe it at all. They're just hucksters. It's, it's your individual faith because you get saved. Yeah. It's not who's delivering a message. It's you. But what's the... That's true. But what's the power that brings those people to salvation? Holy Spirit. Uh, well, no, because now this person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. They're not even... The they don't Spirit, have it within them. The Holy Spirit woos the individual. Yeah, and uh, well, let's let's turn to look, let's look at it. Romans one sixteen, Romans one sixteen, and this is an interesting mystery here. It's very powerful. One sixteen, Romans one sixteen, and this is this the Holy Spirit rules the individual is the answer, but how does that happen if the person doesn't have the Holy Spirit is preaching? But they're preaching the gospel for money, for corruption, for, oh, I could do that, you know, uh, you know, and they just, they see other people doing it, and they, they, we see a lot of that, yeah. especially like in Liberia, a lot of people become preachers, and they just, it's a way for, to make money, you know. Let's look what it says here, Romans 1.16. For, you, well, let's wait till you get there, Ethan. Romans, let's help him out. After Romans Acts. is right after Acts. Right after Acts. Right, a couple more pages, Ethan. Right after Acts. 
Pastor Rodney always says, if you can't preach to the level of a third grader understanding you, then you're not preaching right. So I always like it when my kids follow along and they understand and, you know, Romans chapter 1. You found it? Yeah. 1. 16? Number 16, yeah. And can you read that for us, Ethan? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Amen. So the answer to that is the gospel itself is a powerful, has, has power. So even if I don't believe it and I'm preaching it, the gospel itself has power. It could be written on a track. I knew a guy who was a high, high priest Satanist. He was, he was very powerful in the demonic. And he had gotten a gospel track. And when he read the gospel track, he didn't believe in it, but he lost his powers by reading the track. And the track was left to him because he had witches over at his house for a blood drinking party. They were drinking bagged blood that they would buy from the, from the, from the hospital. And they would drink the blood. They were into vampirism. And they, one of the kids had a track with them. And they had a picture of Jesus on the cross, and they like drew fangs on Jesus, and they drew like a long beard, and they drew horns on Jesus, and they were like mocking it, like, look what I did to Jesus, and they left it on the table. Well, he read it, and his powers left him, his demonic powers. So even the gospel in written print has salvation power. The gospel is actually very supernatural and very powerful in itself. So if you, with or without the Holy Spirit's power, the gospel has the power to save sinners to the Jew and also to the Greek, meaning to the religious people or to the complete atheist. That's what it means by the Greeks, the non-believers, the rational, the educated. They, they can't believe it. The gospel can still has the power to save them mm-hmm. because the Holy Spirit has anointed the gospel. Yep. Yeah, so the gospel has power. Amen? Amen. It's the bread of life. It's the bread of life, amen, which we were having for communion, amen. amen. So let's take a look here at Acts 2. And, and I don't want to leave that there as, a, as smoking. Anybody have a comment on that or question? I, feel, I can feel in the spirit that you, some of you are chewing on that. Chewing on the blood part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The gospel itself has the power to save. Even if preached by a non-believer without the Holy Spirit. Acts 2. Acts 2. Isn't that interesting? So they, uh, a Baptist who has the Holy Spirit in them, they can preach great and people get saved. And it will have an extra, it will have an extra dynamic if, if, if someone who's born again preaches it and believes it and they preach it with conviction. It'll have an extra dynamic. But the gospel alone can save. And I've seen some hucksters in the ministry. Phonies and fakes and fraudsters. And but some souls still get saved. People even get healed. And they're they're hucksters. It's like there was a movie with uh, Steve Martin and he's a fake miracle worker. And then one of his he's doing the fake miracles. We've seen people do that, you know. And and one of the one one of his crusades, a real boy gets healed, and it throws him into a crisis of, 
I can't say crisis of faith because he didn't believe. It, it was a crisis of doubt. He was a doubter. He was a non-believer. But when somebody actually got healed, it threw him into a crisis. Like maybe he has to believe now. <laughs> you know, it's a Steve Martin m- movie, and I, I was based on. It was based on a real character, a little boy named, um, a little boy preacher. There was a there was a fraudster. I forgot his name, Billy Ray or something like that. You you can read about it on on Wikipedia. And this boy got healed. How did he get healed? And the preacher didn't even believe. <laughs> <laughs> power of the, the power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to save, heal, deliver. Because the, the word salvation actually is all inclusive. It's all inclusive, yeah. It's healing and everything. Amen. And you know what's so interesting is that uh, Papa Hagen said in his book, my wife told me she read it, that he had more results amongst the non-charismatics than he did the, the charismatics. When he preached like to Catholics and so on and nominal de- denominational people, he always had more miracle results than he did the ones who claimed to be believers in it. Yeah. I think that's also a very interesting observation. Yeah. I think sometimes when you just heard it too much mm-hmm. and, and it becomes indifferent to you. But when you first hear the gospel for the first time, yeah. it's revolutionizing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's why you get healed and all that when you're when you're a baby Christian. It's nothing to get healed. Yeah, yeah. Or you pray for a job and you get the job. It's just it's just childlike faith. Amen. Maybe when we figure we when we think we figured it out, mm-hmm. that's when God says, "All right, I'm going to step back and see if you trust me." Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, so now we find ourselves at Acts two, <clears throat> the birth of the church. Jesus and God had the idea that for this faith to be spread, it's going to take power. It's going to be different from the Buddhists. It's going to be different from the Muslims. It's going to be different from the Jehovah Witnesses. In other words, you don't need to have power to spread a religion. But you do have to have power to prove that your religion is the only right religion. Does that make sense? So I asked you if the Muslims could spread their faith, the Mormons could spread their faith, the Buddhists could spread their faith without miracles and power of the Holy Spirit, then why do we need the Holy Spirit, miracles, and power? It's so that we can prove through witnessing, through the demonstration of power, that our faith is the true faith, that not all roads lead to Rome. So that the Muslim could be saved, so that the Buddhists can be saved. Because our message comes with demonstration. None of their messages, none of their religions come with miracles. Only the gospel of Christ does. That's why God said, you must tarry here in Jerusalem until you've been endowed with power from on high. So that's what he says here in the book of Acts. He says, wait here until you've been endued with power from on high. And we could just look at that at verse 4, Acts 1, 4. That's what he was saying. Acts 1-4? One, 1-4. Four. One, four. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. So he commanded them to wait for this, because he needed them to have a message that was not going to just be in word, but was also going to be in power, to differentiate between the message of the nations. The, what the Gentiles nations had to preach. Amen? 
So thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us this revelation. So now we see he's risen from the dead. He commands him to wait. And in the end of chapter 1, he goes to heaven. And now we see the birth of the church. The church began in power. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then we're going to go back over it, okay? Let's start in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Now, Pastor Rodney says that there are possibly thousands of people here, okay, at this point. The day of Pentecost is a holiday. We have the word penta in there. Why penta? Five. It means 50. Five. It means 50. And what do Satanists use? Six. What do, no, what do Satanists use as their symbol for Satanism? A star. What kind of star? A penta. A pentagram. So why do Satanists use a pentagram? Because Satan's army symbol is a pentagram. When God's army was established, it was on Pentecost. Satan is trying to imitate the army of God. It's just an imitation. So here on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. So the first big holiday is Passover. And then the next one, 50 days later, is Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, which was a, a day of harvest. Amen. Passover was the time they celebrated the 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 uh, the sacrificial lamb, the putting of the blood on the doorpost, and they celebrate the time when the death angel passes over the Jewish people. In other words, God saves his people. And that's what Christ did. He shed his blood over us. God saves his people. But now, after being saved, 50 days later, it's harvest time. So it goes from Passover being a time of personal reflection and salvation to now the time of the harvest field. Pentecost. It was the celebration of the harvest. So on the day of the harvest, the birth of the church, Pentecost, was fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came... Now up to this day, there was probably thousands of people. But as week one went by, week two went by, week three went by, week four went by, a month later, a lot of people were not going to sit around praying. Because Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. So these people have been waiting for 50 days. That's why there's only 120 people left. The other thousands of people had left. Some left three days, four days. Some people said, man, I've been waiting here for 30 days, a month. I got to go back to work. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't paid my bills. I got to cook dinner for my kids. My kids got to go to school. So it had dwindled down to just 120 people on this day. And this was when God birthed the church. He doesn't need the crowds. He dwindled the crowds down by making them wait to the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, they didn't know the day or the hour, but it surely happened. And it happened suddenly, came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Note, it was every single one of them received, every single one were filled, and every single one spoke with tongues. And they were dwelling, in verse 5, at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. It's the Feast of Pentecost, they have gathered from all over the world. Every nation under heaven. 
Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they heard every man heard them speak in his own language. So every man from every nation under heaven all heard these 120 people speaking in their dialect. As I've taught and explained to you before, these 120 people in the upper room, they were not speaking different dialects. They were speaking other tongues, heavenly language. And the miracle was that the people from every nation on earth, they heard their dialect being spoken. So it wasn't they were speaking Hebrew and Chinese and Mandarin and Korean. They were all speaking tongues, but the miracle was here interpretation. Can I read the message about it when it says? Yes. On verse 2, it says, Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Mm. It was a gale force. It wasn't something that's quiet. Yes. It was loud. So if you have 120 people all loudly speaking, yeah. you wouldn't be able to hear one word. Yeah, right. Especially if they're saying different things. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> you know, and, and speaking different languages. If we're all speaking, just us seven here are all speaking a different language out loud, you wouldn't be able to hear in the back of the room one person speaking Korean. It's it impossible. Like we were listening to worship a little while ago when that song, the last song, all of them started Speaking in tongues and singing to the Spirit. You couldn't tell what anybody was saying. Yeah. It was just a bunch of noise. Yeah, exactly. So the miracle here was the interpretation. They were all able to hear their own language. And would you be shocked if you spoke Urdu? That's a language in Nigeria, right? Would you be shocked if you went to a conference at Rama and there's 5,000 people and you heard somebody in the bathroom speaking Urdu? You, would you be surprised that somebody knew Urdu at a conference? Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised because people come from all over the world for the, no, I mean, for the conferences. It depends on the person. I would look at the person. <laughs> and you would assume that person maybe are, came from Nigeria, right? Yeah. At the conference. I would look at the skin. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, I, I know a white Nigerian worship leader. <laughs> yeah, a white Nigerian worship leader. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you go to a conference with people from every country, you expect somebody's going to speak your language there. That's a normal thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a feast of Pentecost. People come from all over the world. You're going to bump into people. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to be hanging out with people mm. from your country, most likely. Yes. You're not going to be hanging out with the Italians and you're Nigerian. Yeah. You're going to be... You're going to find the other guy speaking your language and hang out with them. You wouldn't be surprised. But here, it says they were all amazed. Because, why were they amazed? They marveled one another, verse 7. And they said, behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? How, and how do we hear every man? Now, I didn't say I heard one guy speaking my language. He said, how do we hear every man in our own tongue? That was the miracle, was the interpretation, not, not that they were speaking those dialects. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, 
about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. If you ever wonder what you're saying in tongues, you, you, you most likely are saying the wonderful works of God. Amen. When I was speaking in tongues, the Jewish man heard me speaking in his own language uh, the five days of creation. Mm. I was just speaking the works of God. Isn't that amazing? Mm. So you're not wasting your breath if you start saying, thank you, God, for making the sun. Thank you, God, for making the earth. Thank you, God, for saving the children of Israel out of Egypt for when they were in bondage for 400 years. That's probably what you're saying in the Holy Ghost. Anyways, mm-hmm. praising God for his wonderful acts. So it says here that they were, verse 11, they were speaking the wonderful works of God. And that's amazing. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? So now this is a wonder. It was a sign, but now it's a wonder. What meaneth this? They're wondering. Amen. What meaneth this? Where do we leave off? Verse 13. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, you men of Judea, And all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, quote, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles. So why does God want the church to have the power of the Holy Spirit? To show that this message is approved I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you know, the presidential saying, right? God wants to show that this is the gospel. This is the message that's approved by God through wonders and signs. Verse 22. So God wants us to be a Pentecostal church. He started a Pentecostal church. He sent the Holy Spirit for us to move in the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts so that it proves through signs and wonders, the message is approved by God. Does that make sense? Which God did in him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God had raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's quoting from the Psalm of David. 
For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. End of quote. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, or his tomb, is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, so we see David was not just a king, but he was a prophet, confirmed by Peter. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of his, the fruit of his own loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's why I say, Asher, men can have babies. You need to have a wife, but the Messiah was going to come from the loins of David. From his own loins will come his seed. Okay? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you later. <laughs> we were talking about this in, in a home Bible study. Amen. So therefore, being a prophet knowing that God has sworn with his oath to him that the fruits of his own loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31. He, speaking of David, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Peter had a revelation here. He didn't know that he was going to die. When Jesus said, I'm going to die, he said, no, you're not. If anyone tries to kill you, I will die for you. But now the light bulb just turned on and he remembered the psalmist and now he's preaching the psalm that he was going to be resurrected, that David was, must have been prophesying about Messiah. So the light has turned on for, for Peter. Amen? Mm. Verse 31. David seen this before spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, wherefore you are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he shed forth this, which you do now see and hear. This is why I said that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Because it says right here, verse 33. Jesus at the right hand of God as prophesied by David, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forward this. So Jesus received the Holy Spirit from the Father and then he sent it down to us. Amen. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts because the gospel is the power of God 
to salvation. So this gospel that he just preached pricked their hearts. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, Repent, verse 38, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise of this Holy Ghost that you see shed forth here by the evidence of speaking in tongues is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. That means it's not going to end when the canon of scriptures is put together. It's not going to end when the Catholic Church gets established. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the gift of tongues is going to be for every single person that God ever calls on this planet Earth. It's not going to pass away. Very important for us to, 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 to understand and to preach. Because much of the world believes that the Holy Spirit passed away. And the Holy Spirit was taken away when we got the full canon of scriptures. But that's not what... The, this, you have to understand, this sermon is the foundation sermon of the church. This is the teaching, this is the doctrine that's going to be the bylaws. This is the constitution and bylaws of the, of the church of Jesus Christ. This is not just our denomination. This is the constitution and the bylaws of the birth of the church of God. And I don't mean the church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Anderson, Indiana. Or Anderson, amen. <laughs> he says, this promise is to all of you and your children and to all that are far off 2,000 years later. Even as many as Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And that's the message that we must have to our generation. Save yourself from this untoward generation, this LGBT, drag queen, trans, liberal, communist, socialist generation. We must... Be the same voice to our generation. Amen? Mm -hmm. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, you think that's a big deal. But some of Bonkis' crusades has, in one service, you know, 100,000 souls saved, 200,000 souls saved. So... We're not that shabby nowadays in 2022. There's still some people getting more than 3,000 in an altar call. Amen. Didn't happen every day, 3,000 souls. Just this this crusade. This was an impromptu crusade organized by Jehovah. Amen. And it was a lot cheaper than the ones we organized with stage and lights and banners and, you know, brochures. When God throws a crusade, it's free. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. 3,000 souls out of that day verse 42 and they continued steadfastly and this is where we must be from verse 42 onwards is where we come in okay 
The first part of this chapter, we find out how the church was birthed. The center of the chapter, we find our central message, the message of the church. And then the third part of the chapter, we find the, the Holy Spirit and what happened in this chapter is going to be the, 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 the mode and the model which we use in the future. And then the last part of the chapter, the fourth part, we see how we are to practice and the purpose of us practicing. And he says that in that is that they continue steadfastly. This is what we must do as a church in 2022. We must be steadfastly. That means in Bible study, in prayer meetings, in services, in fellowship. We need to be steadfast in our, 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 our religion. We can't be casual. Just come to church once in a while, here and there, casually believe. That's not the church that he instituted. He instituted a church that stayed steadfastly in prayer, in worship, in doctrine, in fellowship. A steadfast church. And what we have in mainstream religion across the world is a casual church. That you're lucky. I just, who was it? I just, was it? I just heard some church. It might have been Pastor Rodney. Did Pastor Rodney say during the week we were there that they would get people would come once every, once every month on average, or once every three weeks on average? I think he said once every three weeks. Yeah, so. yeah Pastor Rodney said that his church, and he's not the only church. Rod Parsons said the same thing. The average church person in the mega churches are attending once every three weeks. Once every four weeks would be like once a month. But once every three weeks, they're doing about two services a month. You know, give or take two services a month. Fire insurance. Fire insurance. That is the, you know, I'm sure it's probably the same in like Victory, Rama, Rodney Howard Brown's church. Now, Rodney Howard Brown said that was before the COVID, right? Yeah. Now he's saying like people are coming every week now. But before COVID, people were coming once every three weeks to church. I heard Rob Parsi the same thing. Rob Parsi said if all the members came on one Sunday, because he only has a 10 o'clock and then a 7 p.m. service. He said if all the members came on a Sunday morning service, they would not have, they, they would not have the room. They have, a, I think, a 6,000 feet or 5,200 seat sanctuary. 5,200 seats. They barely were opening the, the bleachers. So on the floor, they seat like 2,000. So they were barely filling up 2,000 a week. But if everyone showed up, they would have to have three times that sanctuary. If all the members showed up, that's not steadfast. And I don't know what the statistics are in Nigeria. I'd be interested to know. I don't know what they are in China. But once every three weeks is not steadfastly. And now I know here we're preaching to the crowd, but I'm preaching to the crowd because I want you to preach this to your church and to your brothers and sisters and to the people that you disciple. Jesus established a church that met steadfastly. Every Sunday, prayer meetings, Bible studies, when possible. Now I do understand you have some businessmen that they're that during the, the week they're, they're doing business and so they're doing their calling. You know, but in general, if you just have a nine to five, you should be plugged in steadfastly 
in services, prayer meetings, and also breaking of bread. In other words, that's home groups, fellowship. Don't have to be at home. My friend Adnan, he's the director of CTN Television in Houston. He runs the whole station. He told me, no, no, it wasn't him. It was, uh, have you ever heard of Carlos Anacondia? Carlos Anacondia is the, one of the lead figures of the Argentina revival. And he's, he's probably number maybe two of the, he's maybe number two biggest evangelist in all of Latin America. Number one, I think, is Luis Palau. So you have number one, I think, Luis Palau, and number two, Carlos Anacondia. He is a worldwide ministry. He's the Billy Graham of Latin America. And uh, I just met his son having a coffee on accident at the coffee shop in Houston. We just sat next to each other and started talking, and he told me his name. I said, what? I said, that's the same name as Carlos Anacondia. He said, yeah, that's my father. I said, you're the son of Carlos Anacondia? His father laid hands on me. He was one of the speakers for Billy Wilson. Billy Wilson, the president of ORU, he organized a 100-year centennial of Azusa Street Revival in 2006, I think it was, 2005. He organized this in Los Angeles where they met at the, in, in, the, in the big stadium in Los Angeles and he had Youngie Cho, Carlos Anacondia, he had Copeland and Creflo and uh, just every major minister on planet Earth, Pentecost minister, was there. The Nigerian, all the big guys were there. And... I said, your father laid hands on me in Los Angeles at the Azusa Street Centennial. And, he, you know, and we started talking, and he told me that he went to visit the Hillsong Church in New York City, which uh, church has just, was one of, the, one of the biggest churches in New York City. And he said when he walked in the door, the usher shook their hands, and he said, oh, you have an accent. Where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from Argentina. He said, oh, really? Hold on. And he got on his walkie-talkie, and he called somebody in the church who's from Argentina. And so brothers and sisters from Argentina came to the door, took him in, sat with him, fellowship with him, hung out after service. Then two days later, one of the associate pastors called him up and said, hey, let's, let's meet tonight for a Starbucks. I want to welcome you to the church and tell you our vision. So within two days later, a, mem- a leader from Hillsong Church was having coffee with him at Starbucks. And he said they have the, they have the best in the world uh, system of, of bringing people into the church, making them part of the church, making them feel part of the community, getting them to be members. They have the best, the Hillsong has the best system. Mm-hmm. He said the Hillsong Church in Mexico is thriving. Hillsong Buenos Aires is thriving because they're all trained on how to break bread, make relationships, follow up with people. Mm-hmm. Don't come up and say, I'd like to see you next Sunday. They'll come up and say, hey, we'd like, to, we'd like to meet for a coffee at Starbucks. That's what they do. Because the sinner is like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, they're trying to get me back to the church again. <laughs> it's a cult. This is a cult. Yeah. But a sinner is like, oh, have a coffee at Starbucks? Yeah, cool. Right? Yeah. That's, how the world, that's how the world is. Oh, go for oh, a slice of pizza in New York? Let's go for a slice of pizza. Oh, cool. You know, They could understand that. Come back to the church. It sounds like you're trying to get my money. Right? So they did that. It says, verse, verse, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread in prayers. That's how you do discipleship. That's how you do soul winning. 
You meet, you eat, you teach the doctrine while you're eating, fellowship, you talk about the word of God, and then you say some prayers. That's how the church was modeled. Eat, fellowship, share the word while you're eating with them, and say some prayers. And this model, look what it says. Fear came upon, verse 43, every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as everyone had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread and going house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. When you have a church like this here in Broken Arrow, and we're continually meeting with people, continually meeting with people, praying with them, God does miracles, teach them the word, they begins to people will begin to get saved. Week by week, week by week, week by week. This is the model of the New Testament church. Us coming together and preaching to each other, praying for each other, is good. But that's not the model that the the apostles founded, that God founded through the apostles in the book of Acts. The model that they founded was reaching out to to people, sharing this gospel, breaking bread with folks, bringing them into prayers, fellowship, bringing them into... The temple was part of it. But you see, the temple was just part of it. They were also going out breaking bread. They were also going house to house. So we have to have this combination. It can't just be Sunday temple worship. It has to be the house-to-house time. It has to be going for coffee time. It has to be the fellowshipping and, and sharing and giving to each other, helping out those who they met that were struggling, buying them a coffee or just bringing them a, a basket of fruit. This is organic, ch- true church life. And this church model grows. I'm reading a book right now called Wiki Church. It's a great book by Steve Morell, who pastors one of the biggest churches in the world. Uh, they started in the Philippines. And they, what they started was, you could, it's called Wiki Church. You should read it. It's a great book. Wiki Church. I have, I have it. I'm reading it. And he says what they had, which what all churches have, is an event-based model. Even when we had pastor, one of the pastors here to train us, he said, make it event-based. Plan, okay, Easter service to get people excited about Thanksgiving service, get people excited about, and it's event-based. Oh, next week is going to be Pentecost Sunday. Oh, next week we're going to do uh, baby baptisms. And next week, and it's event-based Sundays. And event-based Sundays could grow a church to seven, eight thousand, ten thousand, 10,000. But it can't grow a church to 120,000. Event-based church cannot grow a church to 300,000 members. This pastor here has 100,000 members. He said, you have to go from event-based to uh, discipleship-based. A discipleship-based church, there's no limit on the growth. A discipleship-based church can have a million, like Young Kid Show had almost a million members. But it wasn't come to Sunday. This Sunday is going to be a new service. This Sunday, movie series. This Sunday is going to be about, you know, uh, the resurrection. This Sunday is about the build my house. All these event-based Sundays. But Young Cho did a discipleship-based church and exploded to almost a million members. 
And we see in this, uh, I think, Ayidipo, also in, in Nigeria. I don't, how many members do they have there? Hundreds of thousands, right? Hundreds of thousands. Same model, discipleship, discipleship-based. Why? Because that's the model. There was no event-based church here in the book of Acts. You know, well, the Jews did it event-based. But the New Testament church, it was steadfast. It was day in and day out discipleship. But the Jewish faith was never meant to grow. They were meant not to grow. They were supposed to just maintain. And that's what we have done with event-based services. We just maintained 200 members. Or if you're big, maintain 6,000 members, 2,000 members. But a discipleship-based church, the numbers are endless. I start a group, and then my group has a group, and then my group has a group. And, you, you know, and before you know it, there's 100,000 members. We had a guy in Cambodia... Me and my wife uh, had lunch with named John Castledine. He has a three hundred thousand members wow. in Cambodia. Discipleship based. This is the church that Jesus established and that the apostles established. It was full of the Holy Ghost, preaching the gospel, and 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 daily, steadfastly worshiping, breaking bread, evangelizing, meeting people, connecting people, inviting them to their home, going to their homes, they coming to the temple. The temple, yes, is part of it. Having that Sunday worship is part of it, but not the whole kit, kit, kit and caboodle. It was the elements together. Temple worship, and then fellowship, then house to house, then breaking of the bread, then meeting the needs of the community, sharing together. Uh, and then the miracles, it specifically said miracles happened. Signs and wonders happened. And so miracles are, are part of it. All these things working together left us with the church that has no cap on growth. And from this day till today, the church has continued to grow worldwide. And the Pentecostal church is the fastest growing Religion on planet Earth by conversion. Remember we said number one fastest growing religion is Islam. But it's not by conversion. It's by force or birth. The fastest growing religion in the world is the Pentecostal faith. Through conversions. Not birth rate. Not we're going to blow you up. It's this. And the fastest growing churches are the discipleship churches. Like this guy there, like Idipo, like Yucho. These are the ones that are growing. 200,000 members, 300,000 members, 70,000 members. is through discipleship-based church. Amen? So this Pentecost, I've had an objective to, to, to look back at the early church, a complete overview, and paint a clear picture of where I believe all nations Tulsa should go in, in, in the coming weeks and months. And I would like to have a meeting this week with everyone, kind of a planning meeting about a building location and what our plans are. And I'd like to get everyone's input and do some brainstorming. If you guys have time, we could do it at the Tuesday night prayer. But if, you, if your son has soccer Tuesdays, we could change it to like a Wednesday night. No, Monday. Oh, Monday he has soccer. So would a Tuesday night be okay with you? If we stick with Tuesday night? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> so, because we want to have a, pl a planning meeting for the church, so we need you to be there. Okay. 
You want to do a different day that's better for no, you? Tuesday. Yes, so but, but not for a long time. That constantly. I mean, if we. How long is it going to be? Well, uh, we got to do some planning, some brainstorming, and uh, and then we could we could pray about those plans too, or we could have another prayer meeting another day to pray about it. You know. Okay. What do you think? No, I'm saying what I mean is time. We have to have time. So yeah. We don't do seven. Well, how about is seven too early to start for you guys? What about seven to nine? So we could have, a, a, say, an hour of a planning and then an hour of prayer. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? And let's, let's make some decisions and some brainstorming about renting a church and so on uh, or what, 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 what we all want to do. And this might be our last week here. We might uh, be leaving on the 15th. So I want to get together and have our plans agreed upon as, as, as we are removed and you guys continue on. And uh, I think there's some good options uh, as far as buildings are concerned. I think there's some good options, but I want to hear what's on your heart uh, as you'll be continuing on here in Tulsa. But here is the model that the apostles gave us, and particularly Peter. And in some ways, they say Peter is the first apostle of the church or the first bishop of the church or the first pope. In some ways, that's not a doctrine. But in some ways, you could see Peter was the one used to lay down the, the book of Acts, Pentecostal, birth of the church. He is the one that, that was the, the chosen vessel to, to be the spokesperson, to give the first altar call. To He really laid the model. So in that way, Peter was the pioneer. But then Paul was the pioneer to the, to the Gentile world. You know. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today's message. And we thank you that there's so much we can learn in the word of God. So much we can learn from the apostles and from the prophets that you've given us in, in, in this word, Father. And we thank you that this is a proven model that is, has unlimited growth potential when our Christian faith is not based around events, not based around just ourselves and our, our spiritual needs day to day and week by week, but that, Father, that our Christian faith is to be centered around reaching out, breaking bread, discipling, teaching the word to disciples, to the lost, to those around us. And we ask you, Father God, to help us get this message. Help us, Father God, become extroverted in our faith and not introverted. Help us, Father God, to make a difference in this world and not just live for ourselves. Help us to trust you, Father God, and not always trying to figure out the times and the seasons to fit into our plan and, and what we want and our desires, but to live a life that is a life of just trusting you to work those things out, but keeping first and foremost the command to be a witness to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That means we have a responsibility here in Broken Arrow in Tulsa to reach people. We also have a responsibility to do it in Paris, to do it in Geneva, to do it in Jamaica, to do it in China, to do it in Vietnam, to do it in the nations of the earth. And we've received that responsibility. We'll prove our faithfulness here in Jerusalem. And we thank you, Father God, that you'll take us also to reach the stranger across the world. We thank you for the ability to reach our family members, our friends, our loved ones, uh, those that are, are, are connected to us in our family, that we can reach them too. 
And we pray, Father God, great grace and power come upon us to be that demonstrative testimony, to compel and prick the hearts of those around us to follow God steadfastly and not nominally. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. This is Bishop Joseph Castillo, and I trust that you were encouraged and impacted by that message. Whenever a word of God goes forth by an anointed fivefold ministry gift, it leaves an eternal impact. So I want you to share this podcast on your social media, tweet it out, send it to your friends and your family so they can also receive this word of God. Now, if you're listening today and you haven't settled accounts with God, if you know you're not living right, let me tell you, Jesus came to this world not to condemn you, but that you can have life. And if you pray today with me, opening up your heart, repenting of your sin, God will give you a fresh start. Just open your mouth out loud and repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. Give me new life. Father, I repent. From this day forward, I belong to you. Satan, I renounce you and the works of darkness. And I receive now the power of the Holy Spirit to give me new life and strength to overcome sin. Amen you prayed that prayer, I want you to contact the ministry right now. Send us an email at A-N-I-F contact at gmail.com. A-N-I-F contact at gmail.com. And I'm going to send you some videos, some free books, just everything you need to grow. And we're going to connect you with the local church in your area because this Christian life has to be lived with brothers and sisters and, and you need pastors and teachers and men of God to walk you through, or women of God to, to help navigate and teach you and grow in the things of God. So we love you. We thank you for listening today. We ask you to share this podcast. Sow into the ministry. Give at aniftulsa.com. That's www.aniftulsa.com. Thanks for listening. This is Living Proof with Joseph Castillo.